A couple weeks ago, we started a series called Called by God, and we're talking about how God has called us into certain things. And last week, we noticed that He's called us for a purpose, and so calling and purpose go together. And today, we're going to kind of talk about this fundamental notion around, in fact, I'm really excited to tell you about it, that God has called us to be loved by Him. He called us to love us, which is really interesting stuff. We're going to look at some verses today. Um, because expressions of love sometimes don't always hit the mark. I, I read about this wife, and she was feeling uh, very loving toward her husband, so she, she texts him this little message, uh, if you're sleeping, send me your dreams. This is really sweet, by the way. If you're laughing, send me your smile. If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. So sweet, so sweet. Her husband's response, not as sweet. Uh, I'm in the bathroom, please advise. And so um, sometimes our expressions of love don't exactly hit their mark. And so today we're talking about God loves us. In fact, uh, God created you to love you. It's a truth that if you'll capture it and, and really believe it, it changes the way you look at things. Now, God loves us because His very nature is love. Scripture says God is love, not that He loves he does love, but that, that's who he is. He, in his essence, is love. In fact, we're able to love, to receive, and to give love because we are created in his image. And I don't know about you, I, I like to create stuff sometimes. I think when we're creative, we're a lot like God because he is very creative. But I don't, I'm not always happy with the stuff I create, but God was, he was pleased with everything he created, which is amazing to me. And so if you go back to Genesis and it talks about God created you know, this and that, and he, lo- he, 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 he said it is good. Everything was good. So rocks and, and trees and rivers and oceans, they're all good. And I read one theologian recently that said God created everything to love it. And so he loves us. I know that makes sense to me, but he, he loves his creation. Even even Columbia in the summer. I mean, it's just amazing to me. He loves these things. And so this is our God. And, and look at this verse. This is kind of a really amazing verse. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us. So, be, before, I don't know how this process worked. Did God, was he just like sitting around one day and he decides, hey, I'm going to make the world. And uh, before that, he had thought about us. The, the inference here is he made the world so that he could make us, so that he could love us. Really amazing text. Let's fill it out here. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. It's been God's desire. And one thing that we need to understand is our very first purpose in life isn't to do something. It's to receive something. Our very first purpose in life is to be loved by God. It's what He created us for. He didn't create us to accomplish something or to serve Him. He created us so that He could love us. And that really changes everything if you start to think about it that way. Too many times, I think too often, we start to think, I've got to do something for God, and that's really not the case. We are created to be loved by God. Let's look at the book of Jude just for a second. Jude, uh, you remember that song by the Beatles, Hey Jude? This has nothing to do with that. Uh, Jude 
was a cat who wrote a book in the, the New Testament. In fact, sometimes these guys that write the books name them after themselves. Uh, there's the book of John. You want to know who wrote John? Anybody? John. Uh, who wrote First John? Also John. Great. All right, super. So you're getting the, the point here. So Jude writes this letter. Now, when we write letters, we'll say, Dear Sally, and then we'll have the, the content of the letter, Sincerely, Joseph. You know, that kind of thing. Well, in the first century, when they were writing letters, they would put the, the person that writing the letter at the beginning. And so Jude addresses his letter, and he says this. He says, this letter is from Jude. Oh, I think that's cool. I'm going to start writing letters. This letter is from Joseph. Uh, from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And this is incredibly humble because he too was a brother of Jesus. Really interesting. He doesn't even claim that. It's almost as if he doesn't feel like he's worthy of that. It's interesting. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they had Jesus. Jesus was, uh, was immaculately concept, concepted, conceived. Um, he was born of a virgin. Uh, but then Mary and Joseph had other children. James and Jude are a couple of them. He had sisters as well. And they didn't believe in Jesus until the resurrection. Can you imagine what it's like to, to have a perfect brother? If you need to know, you should ask my sisters. Uh, but uh, it's really, really difficult, I'm sure. I mean, can you imagine going to Mary and, and you're Jude and you say, uh, Jesus pushed me, and it's like, no, he didn't, he's Jesus. I mean, can you imagine that? Couldn't have been much fun, I wouldn't think. So, the first purpose, and I love Jude for his humility here. It's like, I'm a brother of James. By the way, James and Jude became leaders in the church after Jesus' resurrection. At the beginning, they didn't quite believe in him, but man, they, they came around once they saw the resurrected Christ. And, and so they became these leaders. The, the first purpose in our lives is to be loved by God. Now, the first calling in our life is to enjoy that relationship, to develop that relationship. Look at Romans 1.7. I love this. Dear friends, God loves you dearly, and he has called you to be his very own people. Uh, uh, we have a, um, uh, anytime we meet, uh, I'm from Kentucky, anytime I meet somebody from Kentucky, I know they're my people, because we're all cousins. I mean, uh, we, we have people. Now, it's really funny, depending on where you're from, who's your people, right? So, when I lived in Kentucky, uh, back in the day, uh, we really didn't like people from Tennessee, just did not like them. We called them rednecks, which is really ironic if you think about it. Uh, we, we didn't like people from Tennessee. No, we didn't have anything to do with anybody from Tennessee. When I moved to Michigan, you know who became my people? Anybody from the South was my people, except Arkansas. We have standards. But uh, uh, anybody from the South, uh, now they're my people. So I'd be at church one day and somebody would come up and they'd say, you know, I'm from Knoxville. Knoxville, that's my people. You're my people. It's just funny. People become your people when you need them. Uh, I've been to, to Europe. You know who's your people when you're in Europe? Anybody from America. Everybody from America is your people now all of a sudden. Uh, I was in Russia and met a guy from, uh, I think, Kansas. He's my people. I mean, you know, normally Kansas, they, they're not my people. But it depends on the circumstance. Everybody needs people. And God created us to be, I love this, His very own people. It's just a really cool verse. He created us so that we could be his people. He, he wants a family and he wants you in it. It's really important. He wants a family and he wants all of us in it. And so if you've never made a commitment to Christ, you've never gotten into the family, he wants you in. 
You're, you're welcome. You're invited. It's really important to understand that. Look at what it says in 1 John 3. What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown us that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. He wants us in the family. He wants people. I like it. Now, God doesn't want us to just know about His love. He, wants us, he does want us to know about it, but He also wants us to feel it. There's a difference. I can know about something, and then I, uh, there's totally different me feeling it. And so, there, there's this letter. It's called the Ephesians. Paul writes it. Paul was a guy that loved Jesus and, and wrote a lot of the New Testament. And, and he writes this, and it's this... So, sometimes you read something, and it's light, kind of fluffy. It's like a toaster strudel. Uh, it's light and fluffy. And, and then sometimes... People write something and it's more dense. It's, more, it's just solid, like a, like a cliff bar. It's kind of the difference, right? Sometimes it's fluffy and sometimes it's dense. And Paul writes this text and it is so dense with content. We're, we're going to look at it just for a little bit, all right? I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. So our, our, our relationship builds. That's what our calling is to build a relationship. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power to understand. Understanding is important. I've got to have it in my mind. Understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and how deep His love really is. And then He kind of shifts it. And may you experience the love of Christ. I want you to know it, but I also want you to experience it. That's what He's saying. That you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great, you'll never fully understand it. He wants you to feel His love. Now, we're not completely going to get it. Uh, understanding God's love is trying to, like, you know, kind of explain the internet to an ant. I mean, it's really kind of impossible because it is so, so big. But let's talk about it just for a second. When He says God's love is, is wide, it's wide enough to be everywhere. God's love is everywhere. It's places where you think it wouldn't be. God's love is in the bars, and God's love is in the brothels where people are selling their bodies, and God's love is in the ghettos and the slums and the, the places where you wouldn't think it is. It's there. I can't see it. Well, there's a lot of things you can't see that are there. There are radio waves passing through this room right now. Uh, you have Wi-Fi. There's Wi-Fi in this room right now. If you look at your phone, you can see it. You can see that it's there. You can't see it, but you know it's there. God's love is everywhere. And so when we find ourselves in situations where we're not comfortable, we have to remember God's love is even there. Sometimes you feel lonely, but you're really not ever alone. God's love is every place. So, number one, his love is wide enough to be everywhere. It's long enough to last forever. You know, human love sometimes wears out. We see it. We've experienced it, some of us. You see it in things like divorce. You see it in breakups, uh, estrangement. I've got cousins back home that they got all out of shape with one another because of inheritance. Somebody thought they should have gotten more and they didn't get enough. And they, they, they basically kind of stopped communicating with one another because of money. Could you imagine not communicating with your family over money? Human relationships have a tendency, if we're not careful, to wear out. 
God's love doesn't wear out. I read a really funny story the other day. There's this, um, you know, when you go to court, sometimes they, they, try to, they have a, a pool of jurors, potential jurors, and they ask questions, or they explain the situation, and, and they're trying to eliminate people that wouldn't be subjective uh, as a jurist. And so they ask these questions, that kind of thing. And so this particular trial was going to be, uh, there was somebody who had, um, uh, he had caught, uh, no, it was, she had caught her husband uh, in a compromising situation and had, had shot him. And so they were explaining this to, to the potential jurors, and this is the way they explained it. Um, so uh, voluntary manslaughter is given this definition. An intentional killing that occurred while the defendant is under the immediate influence of sudden passion arising from an adequate cause, such as when a spouse's mate is found in a compromising situation. Well, this one potential jurist, she raised her hand and she said, I am really frustrated right now and I need an explanation. Like, the judge says, okay, well, tell what's your, what's your question? She said, well, I came home and caught my uh, husband, my first husband, that I divorced uh, in a compromising situation with my neighbor. And I just divorced him. Are you telling me I could have shot him? I mean, is that, was, that, was that on the table and I missed it? Can I go back and do it now? It's kind of, so uh, human love has this, sometimes wears out. But God's love never wears out. There's a truth that you have to get right or you miss it, really. You kind of, this is going to impact your life. God will never, ever stop loving you. Even if you reject Him. Even if you choose to not love Him back. You don't have to love Him back. He will never, ever stop loving you. His love is wide and His love is long and His love is deep enough to handle anything. Any hardship, any problem, any hurts. Sometimes we get in the blues, we start singing the blues, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And we, we get all saddened and we feel like God isn't there and He's there. When Paul is giving this description which is so dense and so full of life, he's saying God is every place. He, his, it, his love is high enough to overlook our sins. And in a room full of people, we probably collectively have quite a list of sins, things that we've done that we regret I have quite a list on my own, and I think if we were to combine all of our lists, that would be pretty uh, daunting. So how would it be, how would my life change, how would your life change if I began to understand and become aware that God's love is unconditional, it's continuous, it's never-ending? How would, my, how would I look at things with that understanding, that God's love is high and it's deep and it's long and it's wide and it can take care of everything. Well, let's talk about the four things we can understand or we can glean from understanding this depth of God's love for us. First thing is I can feel accepted rather than ashamed. Have you ever been in a situation where something transpired and you really don't want to be around somebody? Maybe they said something that embarrassed you, or you said something that embarrassed them, and, and now all of a sudden that relationship is fractured, and you just avoid them. And a lot of people avoid God because they think He's down on them. They're ashamed. And, and Jesus said plainly, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I want to make a connection. I want to bring people and God together. 
I'm not trying to drive a wedge between people and God. That's not Jesus' intent. It never was His intent. One of the great scriptures in, in the Bible is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what happens with us. When I was a kid in high school, there were you know cliques, right? There's the the sporty guys were here, and the, the geeks were here, and and you know the losers were over here, and and you kind of wanted to fit in, you wanted people to like you, and you you worked hard to be accepted in different groups. And as we get older, the the groups may change, and it may look different, but we still we like to be approved by people. But what's really interesting to me is when this says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ, what you can be sure of is that everybody might not accept you and everybody might not like you, but God accepts you. God likes you. It it sort of, I can feel accepted by God. Now, if I've got sin in my life, God loves me enough to help me um, get out of that, to not wallow in that, to not live in that. And so God loves me, but He He loves me, and he wants the best for me. I can be certain, and you can as well, that God has my best interest at heart. I don't have to be ashamed because I've been accepted. The second thing, really important as well, is I can be bold in bringing my needs to God in prayer. I can be bold. Look at what it says here. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you shouldn't be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into His family, calling Him Father, dear Father. The Greek there would be Abba. It's not just a Swiss singing group. I know some of you are, you know, the dancing queen. Not that, not that. But when it says Abba, Father, He's saying, He's, he's Daddy. We can be bold in going to Him. If I need a loan... There's a difference if I go to the bank or I go to my mother, right? It's different. If I go to the bank, I have to prove stuff. I have to show documentation. I have to show you know, my credit score and all that stuff. If I go to my mother and say, Mom, I need a loan, I don't need any of that stuff. Mama doesn't say, well, what's your credit score, son? Mama had never said, what's your credit score to me? Not one time. Mama doesn't need that. Daddy doesn't need that. When my kids come to me, they don't... You know, sometimes in prayer, have you ever been in a place where they prayed and it was very, it was like, who are they talking to, you know? If, my, if one of my kids were to come to me and were to say, uh, you know, oh, most gracious uh, progenitor of our family tree, and it's like, who are you talking to? I don't know what you're saying. What, what my kids say to me when they need something is, Daddy, I need something. I don't ask for a credit score. I don't do a background check. I don't make sure they can pay me back. That's what this is saying. We can come to the throne boldly. We can pray bold prayers. I've just got to be honest with you. Sometimes I look at this and I think, when I pray, I still apologize half the time. Lord, I know you're busy, but I want to talk to you about this. You don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. My 14-year-old daughter sometimes talks to me about stuff I'm not really that interested in, just to be honest with you. I love her, and I listen to her because it's important to her. But what happens in ninth grade at Hampton Park Christian School? Mm, not caring, not one bit, honestly. You know, uh, Jimmy said Dana. It's like I don't care. I mean, you know, Jimmy and Dana. I don't even know who they are. And so she talks about that stuff. 
and we'll be in the car going to school or coming back from school. Oh, Daddy, it was so funny. Well, what was funny? Oh, Billy and blah, blah. It's like, that ain't funny. It ain't funny to nobody. I mean, there's nothing about that that's funny. Except I listen because I don't care about the story. I care about the one telling the story. God loves us. There's nothing unimportant to Him. And His love far exceeds my kind of love for my daughter. He wants to hear from us. And He'll never say, oh, I don't have time for you right now. Or I'm on my phone. or uh, yeah. We have access. I, I read an article this week in Forbes, because that's kind of where I live, in the Forbes magazine. And this article talked about a breach of data. Uh, four billion records were, were, were breached. Um, then they did some investigation. Gosh, how could so many documents be breached and so many places be breached? Now, you know, if you are computer savvy at all, that some websites you have to have a username and a password. And so they found of these four billion uh, breaches, they had a common theme. And the common theme was the passwords were really, really bad. Uh, in fact, these are the top five bad passwords that were on there. One, two, three, four, five, followed closely by one, two, three, four, five, six, followed cl- not seven, they went to seven, eight, nine after that, test one and password. By the way, uh, if you have a, any of these as your passwords, you probably should change that. That's really not, not clever. But you, you have to do certain things to have access, not, not with God, just not that way with God. I, I brought my phone today, I usually don't keep my phone, but uh, here's my phone. Let me show you a verse and I'm going to tell you what my phone has to do with that. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. When I pray, I can, I can approach God with confidence. All right, so I'm in a meeting. Let's say I'm in a meeting, and, and I take my phone out, and, and I silence. I try to remember to do that. I don't always do it, but I try to remember. If I'm going into a meeting I, I, or something, I will, I will silence my phone. I'll, I'll silence it, and I'll put it back in my pocket. Now, uh, if your phone is like mine, it'll still kind of buzz if, if I get a text or something or an email or whatever. And so usually just a text, it'll buzz for a text. And if I'm not the one speaking, and and if it's not a time that's inappropriate, if my phone buzzes, I'll look to see who it is. And I'll check it out, and and I'll punch the little button. And here's what I've noticed about myself. If it's my wife, I'm going to read it. If it's from Elise, my daughter, I'm going to read it. If it's from any of my girls, I'm going to read it. If it's from my mama, I'm going to read it. If it's for my sisters, it could be about my mother, I'm going to read it. Because they have instant access. In fact, if I read it and it's something urgent, I'll politely excuse myself and I'll go take care of it. Because they have instant access to me. They have access anytime I'm available. They, I mean, I'm going to make myself available to them. They, they have access. They know they have access. They, they don't abuse that, but they know it. When this says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, what it's saying is you've got access. You don't have to ask permission, or you don't have to get in the queue. You, know, you don't have to wait your turn. Have you ever been online and waited your turn uh, for, for like a customer service person? Has anybody done that? Because that is really hard to do. And I don't know about you, but They'll put you online. They do one of two things. They play really, really bad music. I think it's to drive you insane. I really do think they're trying to drive you crazy. Or it's a commercial for the product that's not working that you're calling about. It's like, I'm, 
I don't think your product works the way you think it does. Uh, and you can be online forever and ever and ever, and it's infuriating, and God will never do that to you. Because it says we can go with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace. We can just have confidence because we're in the family. So first thing, I can be accepted rather than ashamed and I can boldly go to my father because he is my father and I don't have to do fancy words and I don't have to uh, do anything. When I begin to see God as my father, it changes everything. It just changes things. Yes, He is God and He is creator of the universe and He is all-powerful. And if He chose, if He so chose, He could wipe us off the face of the planet with just a thought. I, b- I believe all those things. I believe His, his power is, is uh, just he is omnipotent. He can do anything He wants. I also believe that He loves us. He can do anything He wants. And yet He chooses to listen to us. Anytime we go to him, it's one of the most amazing things to think about is that anytime I go to him, he's going to listen. The third thing is this. In times of pain, I can have peace. I don't understand. Verse 7 of Philippians 4 is one most of us have heard before if you've been at church much. Then God will give you peace, a peace which is too wonderful to understand. A peace that's too wonderful to understand. That peace will keep your hearts and your minds safe as you trust in Christ. In life, we ask the question, why? Uh, Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why is it happening now? We, We ask why. It's okay to ask why. I think there are why questions that make sense. I mean, I ask why questions. And I ask why questions of God. Now, just understand that He doesn't really owe us an explanation. Sometimes it becomes clear and sometimes it doesn't. I've, I've lived life, I've lived a lot, a lot of life. I've been, I'm kind of old is what I'm saying. And I've experienced a lot of things and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes I see it from, oh, that fits into the plan, that makes sense to me. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. There are times it doesn't make sense. Here's what I know about an explanation. Explanations rarely give you peace. Let's say you have a loved one who dies, and the doctor comes in and he explains to you, or she explains to you, what failure happened in my loved one's body that caused them to expire. And they'll tell you, you know, the heart stopped beating or, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever it is. There was, there was an aneurysm, there was a blood clot. I mean, they can, they can give you an explanation. Explanations rarely comfort. They rarely bring peace. Me, me knowing doesn't change the fact that I'm hurting I've been a pastor a long time. When I first got into the pastorate, I thought to myself, when somebody dies, I'm going to do my very best to say something that will provide comfort. I've given up on that a long time ago because what I know is this. I've experienced loved ones dying and nothing anybody says makes that better. Now, people being with me make it better. Your presence makes it better. Knowing that you care about me, that makes it better. Knowing that God loves me, knowing that God is good, knowing that God wants the best for my life, He's got my best interests at heart, all those things bring me peace. He calls it a peace too wonderful to understand. Explanations don't bring me that. Relationship brings me that. And when it says here that God will give you a peace that's too wonderful to understand, that's a promise, but with every promise there's a premise 
to the promise. Let's back up one verse. Do not worry about anything. Talk to God about everything, even things you think aren't important. Thank Him for what you have. And ask Him for what you need. I mean, really simple. And then, then God will give you peace. You, you have this very comfortable relationship. I, I can ask Him anything. I can ask Him anything. I can thank Him for what He's given me. I think it's important to say thank you. Ask Him for anything. We can have a conversation. Nothing's too unimportant. Talk to Him about everything. And then I can have peace. Because in my relationship with God, I begin to believe that He has my best interest at heart. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems. We're never promised in Scripture. If you have been told that God always wants you healthy and wealthy, that's just not from Scripture. Jesus Himself said, in this world you will have trouble. In fact, we, we looked at this verse last week. We're not exempt from pain. Uh, and we know that in all things, good things, bad things, tough things, things we don't understand, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. We, we don't have to understand it to have peace. That's what's really kind of cool. In fact, in struggles we learn things. I read an interesting article about a guy named Joel Ruth. He is sort of a historian but also a treasure hunter. And so in 2004, four hurricanes hit the uh, Florida coast. Four hurricanes hit Florida. That's a lot of hurricanes in one year. And he had done some research, and he had noted that in 1719 there was a Spanish ship that had sank, had sunk, had sunk, uh, off the coast of Florida. He knew about where it had sunk. Uh, the beach was in Brayard County. And so after these four hurricanes, he thought, hey, I wonder if any of that treasure that that ship had has washed on shore. And sure enough, it had. In fact, he found 180 near-mint condition silver Spanish coins from that ship, worth about $40,000. The point is this. There, there's treasure to be gleaned from the storms of life. Sometimes we don't like it, we don't enjoy it, but it's still there's stuff there to learn. And even when you go through difficulty and hardships, a lot of times you learn the best stuff when you have gone through something. I learn a lot, for, uh, a lot more from mistakes than I do from, from getting it right the first time. You mess up a couple times and you figure out what to adjust. Um, when I was about 18 years old, we bought storm windows. Y'all remember those? Storm windows for the house. And my daddy said to me, uh, son, I'm going to pay you to do these. Start on the back of the house. I said, well, what, what does it matter where I start? He said, it matters. Start on the back of the house. So I put three or four up on the back of the house, and by then I figured out how to do it. And by the time I got to the front of the house, they looked pretty good. The back one's not so good. Uh, they still worked. They were functional. They just weren't great. And, and I understood. By the time I got to the front of the house, I knew what I was doing because I'd made all my mistakes on the back of the house. You learn stuff. You make mistakes, and you learn things. It, it, it is, there's a treasure of, of knowledge out there that we only can glean if we make mistakes. Look, life is a lot like boot camp. You're challenged to become somebody you never thought you could become. So, in this relationship with the Lord, and, and here's, let me, let, me, let me do the fourth one for you because this is kind of the most important one. 
By accepting God's love, I can be part of God's family. I did that a long time ago. You can too. In fact, this might be your moment. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but you can be, in fact, not only can you be, God wants you to be His people. I just love that language. He wants you to be His people. Now, some people are afraid of God. And and the Bible says there's no fear in love. God loves you. There's no reason to be afraid of Him. Perfect love drives out fear. When fear comes in the front, I mean, when love comes in the front door, fear goes out the back door. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be. How do I become part of the family? Glad you asked. John talks about it. To all who believe Jesus and accept Him, He's already accepted you. He's already said He wants you. All you have to do is accept the invitation. To all who believe Him and accept Him, He gave the right to become children of God. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The most important word in that verse is all. You could say to everyone, to each one, to anyone. It is a great all-encompassing word. To all who will accept Him. To all who will believe in Him. He has given the right to become, let's use our, our, our expression, His people. You can be his people. He wants you to be his people. Now, some people will think, okay, well, that, that gives me maybe hope for now. Well, yeah, yeah, it's hope for now. But there still might be trouble. There might be trouble ahead. Trouble happens. Life happens. The world isn't perfect. And, and there's a text in Corinthians that says, if we put our hope in Christ for this life only, we're to be pitied more than anybody else. Following Christ is more than just this life. This life is preparation the next life. I'm going to close with a couple of verses from a book called Revelation. It's the last book in the New Testament. Last book in your Bible. Revelation uh, was written by John. Uh, John was an old guy when he wrote it. Probably in his 80s or 90s. Revelation starts out, you can kind of understand it a little bit. First uh, couple of chapters, first three chapters or so make a little bit of sense. And then chapters 4 through 21 are sort of tough. A lot of imagery you kind of have to, it's tough. It's tough to understand. You have to do a little research, kind of, kind of try to figure it out. There's a lot of theories about it. Uh, there's confusion around it. But then he gets to the end, and it's really clear. In fact, it's almost like John starts out strong, and then it, it's tough in the middle. It's still, it's still Scripture. It's worth reading, but it's sometimes hard to understand. It starts out strong, kind of hard to understand, and at the end, it gets really, really clear. And he talks about what we're promised, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. And it says, then I saw at the end of time a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, that would be God, uh, that would be uh, the angels there, saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people, the people, His people, and He will be with them, He will dwell with them, they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. God has called us to be His people for eternity. And in this place called heaven, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The promise that we have who follow Christ is that we can have peace when it doesn't make any sense. That's sort of a current. And then we have a promise of eternity, which is a future. It's really kind of good stuff. God has called us, He's created us because He loves us and He wants to love us and He wants you to be His people. Let's pray. Father, thank You for 
the invitation that you've given us to be your people and the desire you have for us to be your people. We love you and we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.